to the Cowboy Chronicles. I am Scott Wright of the Oklahoma, joined by Nathan Ruiz and Jenny Carlson. We're coming to you post-game following Oklahoma State's depressing, frustrating. Uh, there's a lot of different adjectives you can throw in front of this uh, loss to TCU, 31 to 24 uh, at TCU. Uh, the roller coaster takes another dip uh, for Oklahoma State in what has been a uh, very interesting season uh, to uh, to to see. The, the ups and downs. Um, first of all, just to uh, to to see the team that that we all watched the last two weeks um, against Oklahoma coming up short, pulling off the upset over West Virginia, and then to come down here against a TCU team that yes they're playing from bowl eligibility, uh, but it's hard to gauge just how important that is to 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 guys sometimes. Um, but uh, I mean, it was a, a regular season finale that you felt Oklahoma State had maybe righted the ship uh, in some ways and uh, had sort of leveled off, uh, but clearly not the case. Uh, Nathan, uh, as we as we begin, what stood out to you the most out of uh, out of Oklahoma State's struggles and uh, and deficiencies tonight? Uh, to go back to what you started with talking about adjectives, it was almost tiring. Yeah. Just because we've gone, first off, it was a late game. We drove up here today, down right. here today. But it was just such a slog to start out with for both teams. OSU's right. offense, uh, basically inept. Uh, I think, you know, it was arguably, you know, one of the worst starts of the Mike Gundy era offensively, and it seemed like it was on pace to for the game be that case before a couple decent drives in, in the third and fourth quarter. But... Uh, OSU just started out so bad offensively in the third quarter, started out even worse. At one point, they were averaging, in the third quarter, averaging 1.4 yards per play. Right. So just complete ineptness. Uh, Taylor Cornelius said that they were almost kind of just in a daze to start the game. They just weren't in it enough. Um, and, and Mike Gundy really doesn't have an explanation for, for what's gone on with this team that's now 3-1 and one as a f- underdog and three and five as a favorite it's just inexplicable um this is a team that really doesn't make a lot of sense unless you just say they're gonna play good against good teams and play poor against average teams that's really the only way to explain it yeah yeah it is jenny um to 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 kind of jump on top of that and and you haven't seen every single game but you've seen enough of this of this roller coaster um obviously it's it's inexplicable but what uh, any any common threads that that stick out to you as uh, as far as what uh, what has has led to this team being as up and down as they are? Well, I think you really have to point in games like this and in their other losses. Uh, yeah, you know, K State comes to mind. Baylor comes to mind. There's just it, it's across the board. Um, it's not. Like there's one area that breaks down and causes the house to collapse. It's, you know, a a wall gets knocked down here. Foundation pile gets taken out from under you there. It's something different, it seems like. I just thought today that their offense came in very vanilla, um, didn't really seem inspired both in play calling and in play. Uh, You know, I don't know if that was... Um, the scheme that was drawn up that they felt like they needed to go more base against TCU. But, you know, some of the 
downfield stuff that we'd seen um, in the past game was virtually non-existent until they absolutely had to throw it down the field. And then, lo and behold, three touchdown drives of, you know, over 69 yards, all three of them. And and so, you know, but it's strange because, you know, there were – I thought there were good things on defense, but then, you know, you see A.J. Green drop an interception. There were, you know – signs of life on offense but then you know just mistakes and special teams errors you know Dylan Stoner doesn't fair catch that punt at the end of the game and they find themselves backed up and they're practically into their own end zone so it just there's it's not like any one thing is the constant thread through all of those games there just never seemed to be the consistency that you would want a team to ultimately get to you know we knew early in the year this was a team with you know, a lot of positions of transition, whether that's quarterback, wide receiver, um, you know, offensive line, defensive scheme. We knew there was going to be change, but you figure by the time you get to October, November, you're going to start to see, ah, this is who this team is. We never figured that out except to say that they're a very inconsistent team. And yeah. that's – you could tell the frustration – and Mike Gundy tonight after the game. And I think he was frustrated in himself. I think he was frustrated in his coaches. I think it's across the board again. I don't think it's any one thing. I think it's a lot of things, and that sort of came to the front tonight. They're a team that is good enough to play a close game against no matter who they're playing, Very good true. or bad. And that's, uh, it's, it's been a really strange uh, season to watch from, uh, from that perspective. Nathan, you touched on the, the beginning of the game, and – you know the defense comes out. They force a turnover right off the bat, first first series on the field, which they haven't forced a ton of turnovers this year. So you thought that that could be a, a big momentum swing early. Uh, you know Taylor Cornelius throws a uh, one of his better throws of the day, really, for uh, for a, t- a touchdown. What would have been a touchdown pass to to Tyron Johnson, but a, um, a, a offensive pass interference call away from the ball where where. Tylen Wallace appeared to uh, expect that the pass would have come out much earlier and had started blocking the guy that was covering him uh, about 10 yards downfield. Um, and, uh, and that negates that, uh, that touchdown. Then the offense goes backwards from there. They end up with a field goal, and that was, uh, that was it. it, was, it this was still a 3-0 th- a game with two minutes left in the first half. Which was uh, which was just really odd. I don't know. Maybe that's what it's like covering Big Ten football. I don't. I, <laughs> I, I can't really say. But um, but the the inability to to find any kind of rhythm at all was uh, was just was just really strange for coming off of the the two games that we've watched this offense play. Yeah, I mean they had. You look at what Taylor Cornelius did the last two games, becomes the first OSU quarterback in Bedlam history to throw for over 500 yards, and then he becomes the first OSU quarterback to pass for 300 yards and rush for 100. And then he puts up 181 passing yards today. Uh, he was OSU's leading rusher, which is a huge point of concern. No Justice Hill. Right. Again, who, it, his bowl status to be determined. Who knows what his future is. But I just, you know, you, you think about the penalties – and how big of an issue those have been for this team. If you look at those games where they were the underdog, no more than five in any of those games, at least six in all of those games where they were the the favorite. And they won a, a, some of those. They beat Missouri State, South Alabama, and Kansas. So, I mean, it's it's not like the, they were powerhouse teams. You're talking an FCS opponent, a group of five opponent, and, and a KU team that's been 
as inept in any in, in the Power Five. So, uh, but this game just swung so quickly. TCU doesn't score for the first uh, twenty-eight fifty-one of the game, right? And then in two minutes and twenty-two seconds of game time, scores three touchdowns. So they get a late score in the first half. OSU, uh, that swing pass Jenny talked about, it was just they kept doing going to that swing pass that was not right. working. No, uh, one of them, Chuba Hubbard drops, and TCU scoops it up, returns it for a touchdown on OSU's first offensive play of the second half, and then gets the ball back, obviously, and then punts, and then on the first play after that punt, an 83-yard run. So, and that was one of the, the few mistakes the defense made. The defense yeah. was really solid. Jim Knowles seemed relatively pleased but i think the the thing that upset him is this was a game with the offense struggling that he felt the defense needed to win yeah and they did not they have not done that this season they have not won by their defense it's either the offense overcomes the defense or the defense does just enough but they haven't won because of their defense i mean you could look at maybe the boise state game won by their special teams Mm -hmm. with those two blocked punts but it's just a situation where osu and Mike Gundy has said this, OSU isn't good enough to overcome ineptitude on one or other side of the ball. So right. it's it's something where OSU now has 12 to 14 practices to, to sort it out and A, try to be better by the bowl game, and B, be ready to put whatever product you're going to put out there in 2019. And obviously you're going to have spring ball and another fall camp between now and then at a recruiting class. Uh, between now and then but this is an opportunity for for young guys to to say like hey maybe look at me in the bowl games Uh, let me show you what I can do and for OSU to maybe experiment with with some different things they during that open date they simplified so much in offense and defense and it seemed to to really spark some change I mean even if you 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 look at the results all of these games that they've played in the last five weeks have been one score games um, you know, they lost, they went two and three in that span, but they played much better in those five games than they did in the, the first seven of the season. Even if you, you look at that Boise state game, but that was so propelled again by those two block punts, but mm-hmm. it's an OSU team that really is just confounding because it doesn't make any sense. You know, Mike Gundy said it's the dangest thing he's ever seen. <laughs> Jim Knowles said it's hell. Mm-hmm. So like, they just don't, they don't get it, and no, no one really does. Uh, again, you point to the penalties, where they, that seems to be a number where the most they seem to be their most disciplined when they need to be. Right, but it, it doesn't. I don't think it's it's as simple as just saying, "Oh, well, they're going to play a good good team, so they they're more disciplined." Like, there's clearly something else to that where they're just whatever missing ingredient is, they haven't discovered it to be able to bring that over. Um, and the atmosphere tonight wasn't very good. The atmosphere at Kansas State wasn't very good. The atmosphere of that Baylor game was fine, but mm-hmm. it just the the energy maybe is this team just is so much more dependent on energy and momentum and atmosphere um, because it's a young and inexperienced team that that just doesn't have the vocal leaders. You know, Gundy's been talking about that right. all season long. These this team like Taylor Cornelius is not. A super talkative pump up guy. Uh, Justice Hill wasn't there today, but he's not. He's the same way. This team just right. doesn't have those elements to say, "Hey guys, we need to be fired up." And it maybe needs that external push to be the best it can be. Jenny, looking at the defense, they obviously, um, like Nathan mentioned, they hadn't given up a point until the final minute nine of the first half. Um, you know, then they there was one TV, TD that they weren't responsible for at all. Um, did it sort of feel like like they were they were, you know, taking the punches and taking the punches and taking the punches and just couldn't find any relief? 
Yeah, I definitely felt like that in that that third score that Nathan referenced, the the big 83, was it 83? Yeah, 83 yard run. I mean, that was just, you know, I felt like that was sort of the pressure building up and them, you know, you just, I hate to bring the school south of OSU into the equation, but to me it's a little bit like what OU's offense must feel like, you know, that pressure of the defense giving up points, giving up points, you got to score today it was it was it was swapped you know this offense just had no I mean it was three and out it was moving backwards the first three possessions of the the second half coming out of halftime when you'd think the offense would be adjusting and figuring something out they combined for minus nine yards in those three possessions I mean it was just horrendous and so you know you got to feel like as a defense they were looking around saying you know we you know Yes, we'll try to keep this up, but there's a good chance we're probably not going to be able to. Um, but, you know, I think that there was some pressure there. And, frankly, I think that I think the defense, uh, you know, has made some, some steps. I think that they'll, you know, if there's any area that is going to benefit by these extra bowl practices, regardless of where Oklahoma State ends up, I mean, they could end up in Memphis on a cold, rainy December day. They could end up in um, – uh, back here in Fort Worth, mm-hmm. you know, on the same field they just played on. I mean, who knows where they're going to end up, but the two weeks or so that this team gets to be on the field before it even starts to think about where they're going or who they're playing is going to be very beneficial to that defense. You know, they're going to be able to um, get those guys out there some more, um, you know, practice maybe a little bit more against – the quarterbacks that we're going to see next year after Taylor Cornelius right. is gone. I just think that that defense is going to, they're not going to be in class. They're going to be done with finals. They're going to be all football all the time. That's going to be a really potentially transformative time for this defense. We may not see evidence of it necessarily right away when they play in that bowl game. But to me, that's, that is as important for this team moving forward to continue to have as many extra practices, as many extra times on the field, you know, moments in the film room, all of those sorts of things to reinforce what Jim Knowles has brought to the table and for Jim Knowles to continue to learn what this defense can do. You know, he's like, like we've mentioned, there were adjustments coming out of that bye week. He's got to continue to learn these guys. What can they do? What can't they do? Who do they need to go out and recruit? What do they need to change? How do they need to, to scheme different? So to me, that just continues to build up that that well of knowledge that the players need and the coaches need, um, and and that's only going to help down the road. You know, Jim Knowles seemed to be genuinely excited about the opportunity to have his first actual recruiting class. He was not involved at all last year with any of the guys that were brought in. Um, and you know, he was talking about how he's not, he, he wasn't leaving the Texas. He wasn't leaving Texas. He didn't say specifically where he was going to go on the road, uh, on the road recruiting right now. But, um, but he seemed genuinely excited about what, uh, what lies ahead for him, uh, in, in putting together his first recruiting class. And he's already, uh, you know, loaded up a, a pretty solid class to this point, um, hitting a lot of key areas. You know, I, 
something about recruiting that's interesting. And uh, we bring up recruiting because there's this early signing period on the 19th of December. Mike Gundy's saying basically his assistants are scattering from Fort Worth to go out and recruit over the next week before they come back together. And to me, it's going to be really interesting. You know, this, this coaching staff has seen this first group, this first team without Mason Rudolph, James Washington, Marcel Aitman, um, all of those guys, uh, Trey Flowers, Ramon Richards, guys that played a long time that were very vocal, uh, active leaders, James Washington notwithstanding. He wasn't necessarily a vocal right. guy, but a, a group of, of players that really um, took that upon themselves. And I wonder, I mean, obviously a lot of that their class is already in and they're, it's just a matter of maintaining and you know keeping contact with those guys, but I wonder how this has informed their thinking as they're going out and right. not only looking at players' abilities but players' personalities and roles that they may play because you know obviously it's a lot easier when the engine is cranked by the guys in the locker room by the players in the in the shoulder pads. Right now, this coaching staff is having to try to figure out ways to turn the crank themselves. Right, and that's you. You can win. You can you can manage, but there's a time when if you really want to take an extra, another step, go higher. It's got to be the players. Yeah. And so the idea of developing the guys you have, but then also having an eye towards how do you go out and find that next wave of guys that does that. Um, you know, I think personality and chemistry and all that can be overrated at times but it's pretty clear that that group was the driving force a right. year ago and i just don't sense that same you know there's a lot of young guys there's a lot of guys figuring stuff out and maybe you just have a hard time as a younger guy taking that initiative but i think that that's got to be something especially for jim Knowles. i mean you, you mentioned that scott him not leaving the state of texas for him to think how do I want my defense? What personality does this group need to have? Well, it's not only playing personality, it's actual personality. Mm -hmm. And how do you go out and find those guys that can be how you want them to be ultimately once they're out there on the field? It's going to be interesting to see what, how do we look back at this class and, you know, upcoming classes in light of, you know, what this coaching staff learned this year. One of the many, many, many analogies that Mike Gundy has used over the course of the season um, that that I think really describes the uh, the leadership uh, issue really well was a, a parenting analogy, and maybe I maybe it, I think it fits because it, I I relate to it um, with with my son um, about how how eventually the parent slash coach their voice sort of becomes white noise to the kid and you've got to have someone else who can step in there and say, okay, you got to do this. This is how this needs to be done now. Um, no, you cannot play in the street anymore. No Calvin Bundage. You can't tackle a guy by his face mask anymore. Um, you know, the coach slash parent can only, can only tell the, uh, the, player or child those things over and over and over again so many times before it uh, it is lost and that's where i think the leadership has been has been missed uh from as as far as the the vocal leadership on this team the most um 
take a, a, a quick pause to uh, to uh, credit our uh, our unofficial sponsor, the uh, the Fairfield Inn here in, in Fort Worth. Um, we are. We're having a fantastic night. Thank you very much. Oh, that's that is spectacular. Thank you very much. You too, man. That was a great uh, timing on that your was, part. That, that was, was that was completely yeah, unplanned. I had no idea that guy was free water. Guy gonna come over and give us some, uh, some, giving, some free that's water. That's what we that's what we need a sponsor, Scott. That's, that's exactly what we're right. talking about. We got we got free bottled water uh, just for we doing our podcast here. We won't say by who because we aren't we're, they're not we're not sponsored by them. That's right. We won't tell tell you what no. kind of water it is. No, no, absolutely <laughs> not. Um, but uh, also, I've I've been sick all week, so I apologize for my voice and all the coughing that's going on in the background. Apologize uh, if there's any of this background noise from the uh, the lobby of the Fairfield Inn here that's been picked up. Um, but uh, but it's uh, it, it's uh, it, this is really exciting. I'm I'm completely thrown off by the by by receiving I can, free water. I can put you back on track. Uh, give me it. liberty or give me cheese. No, wait, no. I want to oh, get something ye- else before Ooh. we get to that. Um, because you mentioned Justice Hill did not play tonight. Yes. Um, you want to start with played. Ding Report? Uh, well, wow, we're yeah, just jumping no, around we're segments. Going, we, wow, we okay. are. We are. We're, we're, this is going to lead into the Ding Report. Got it. But it's a much bigger question. Have we seen Justice Hill's last game as a Cowboy? He's got, he's got, he's got roughly a month to heal up for a bowl game, uh, maybe five weeks. Um, you know, we don't know exactly the severity of this, uh, of this rib injury. Uh, we've been told that it's a bruise, but it could be, could be worse than that. There could be a, a, a fracture of some kind in there, which, uh, you know, of course then puts you in, uh, in, in jeopardy of a punctured lung, um, all sorts of scary things that could be involved there. Um, we've also got the fact that he's definitely contemplating the idea of going to the NFL next year. So... I, I ask you, Nathan, have we seen Justice Hill's last game as a Cowboy? I'm going to say no because I think he'll be healthy enough. I have no idea, obviously, what his injury is because we don't get told told about any of that. Um, but I think the fact that they did bring him back in against Oklahoma, obviously he hasn't now played the last two weeks, but I think that means it's not – maybe it's just not healing as well as they would have liked. Right. And, and you never know, but – I would think maybe part of it is I saw an interesting stat today. He would be he has nine hundred thirty rushing yards, so he's seventy yards short of his third one thousand yard season. He would only be the second OSU running back ever with three one thousand yard seasons. The other one was Terry Miller. Mm-hmm. So he has the chance to uh, do something that hasn't been done at OSU in a while. Um, and so I think that's a motivation for him. I think people like round numbers. I think Justice would want to have that one more game as well, just given what he's accomplished here. I don't think he'd want to just mail it in and just kind of say, I mean, obviously his health is preventing him. At the same time, it, it, it could benefit him to give it another go and, and show scouts a little something extra because this has been, I don't think there's any question, this has been a disappointing year for him in mm-hmm. terms of you know, what we all expected coming in. We thought this team would ride or die by Justice Hill. And that just hasn't been the case. So I, I would say no. Um, I think if he does play in the bowl game, it would be his last game. I think he is bound for the NFL just when you look at his situation and, and what makes the most sense for running backs. I think he'd be smart to go. But at the same time, um, I think he really values his time at this university and, and has enjoyed that experience. But he's about to earn his degree, and I think that's what matters most to him. And, and once that's done, he's, he's his, I think he'll be content to go. Jenny, anything else to uh, to add to that? I'm. I actually. I think what Nathan said is right. I. I. You know. There's only so many 
there's only so many carries in any running backs, you know, lower body, knees, legs. And I just think that Justice Hill has shown uh, there's enough game film out there on him that NFL scouts know what he can do. Um, you know, I think he's uh, I think he's likely to go. Um, and as Nathan said, I do think being a cowboy is an important thing to him. Yeah. You know, he was the first commit in his recruiting class. He was the guy that called other guys. He was, uh, you know, the, the he was the one in that class that. You know, it wasn't just that he was getting to be a Division One football player. He got to be a Cowboy. Mm -hmm. And so, to me, the idea that, you know, if he can play, if there's any way possible, I think he's playing. And, you know, I just I, I just don't think he's going to have, you know, his last game or his last carry be a so-so, you know, moment when he was hobbled and, you know, if, right. he, if he can play. I mean, I, and who knows if it's something really, really bad – but we sort of didn't get that feeling like it was really, really bad. And, mm -hmm. and um, you know, so I think he'll play. Um, but I think Cowboy fans should treasure it because I don't think it's lasting long after the bowl. Well, this is not nearly as dramatic a, seg a segment as I had uh, as I thought it might be uh, because I agree with you guys. I think we see him in the bowl game. And then I and then I think the next time we see him uh, is at Pro Day when he uh, goes out and, and performs uh, for the scouts. So, um that said, let's uh, let's go ahead and jump into the Ding report. Um, Jelani Woods was seen, according to a, a random person on Twitter who tweeted at me, um, at the store with a knee brace and crutches. Uh, it was reported on the radio that it was a knee injury. Um, the severity of it uh, unknown at this time. Uh, Johnny Wilson came back this week and uh, returned to the starting lineup. Uh, Arlington Hambright was on the trip. Uh, did not play uh, behind Dylan Galloway at left tackle, so um, still could be some uh, some issues there with uh, with him still not quite being back to uh, to full speed. anybody uh, anybody else that I'm uh, uh, that I'm missing? I don't think uh, there weren't any notable injuries tonight. Yeah, Zach Hunter did not punt tonight, but uh, Matt Hockett with the uh, the, uh, the the Hockett rocket he had it going tonight. Hockett for Heisman. Hockett for Heisman. <laughs> There was a point where Matt, and this is getting back into the game itself, but mm -hmm. there was a point where Matt Hockett had as many punts as Taylor Cornelius had completions. Mm -hmm. So that was it was just that kind of night for OSU. And that was seven, I believe, at the time. Yeah, so, I mean, it was a significant did, yeah. number. So from that point, Taylor Cornelius had 10 completions, and Matt Hockett had no punts. There you go. Which uh, story wow, of the game right there, there told in the uh, the quarterback and, and the turnaround and, and from Taylor sticks. Cornelius? Yeah. Uh, but how about the night that that uh, that that Matt Hoggett had came into the game career long punt was 49 yards four fifty plus yarders including a 71 yarder tonight um obviously he had some wind helping him out on a few of those but still he's had wind helping him out before and um you know he's he's been a, a just a, a solid punter he's never been bad he's been he's he's done well when he's been on on the field in uh, in most most situations um he's but, kind of uh, a guy who Weirdly, this is a weird comparison to make, but he's a guy who's kind of similar to Taylor Cornelius. A little bit. In that he just bit. had a different guy in front of him the whole mm -hmm. time. You know, uh, Zach Siner's been there the whole time, and mm -hmm. Hockey got an opportunity earlier in the year while Siner was recovering from the uh, hernia. But, yeah, and now he gets his opportunities and made the most of it. And, and Taylor Cornelius, obviously, like like we've mentioned, didn't have a great night, but to his credit, has made the most of his, his opportunity. He, he almost said um, – post game they're like oh i want to change any of it but 
that's not what he he like stopped himself mid sense and he's like oh I want to change this season for anything is he just really like enjoyed Taylor has really enjoyed the ride of it mm-hmm. um, but yeah it's it's a uh, different guys taking advantage of the opportunity getting their moment and, and making the most of it and we saw it last week with Rye Schneider and we saw it tonight with Matt Hockett yeah I think the only uh, the only time that I thought that there was an injury tonight was when AJ Green was down on the sideline for. Uh, for a good little bit, and uh, I believe that turned out to just be a, uh, a shoe malfunction of some yeah, sort. Yeah, apparently that's that's what they were saying on the radio. He was just in a little equipment issue, so he worked it out. Yeah, maybe he was having trouble getting it tied back. I don't, I don't know. I don't. I don't know his uh, his dexterity. Maybe there was some some difficulty there. You you get those gloves; they're so sticky. You try to retie your own shoe with those sticky gloves on. That's gonna be I tough. I can't speak from experience, but I'll take your word for All it. All right. Well, just trust me. Just trust me on that one. So, um, but yeah, so I think uh, I think that pretty much uh, wraps up the ding report as far as uh, any notable guys. Um, Ld Ld Brown was uh, was back and had his uh, his um, most carries of the year. Not a productive night uh, by any stretch. Uh, did get um, got uh, credited with some lost yardage on that one fumble that was uh, either a miscommunication or uh, or. Uh, I'm not exactly sure. We'll stick with miscommunication on that one. It was um, it was it was a mess, is what it was. Um, very whole, a lot of the night was a very mess. descriptive of the uh, of the you night. Set, you could have just so. uh, hope you could have started to be like Oklahoma State football team lost to TCU 31-24. It was a it mess. It was a mess. Thanks for listening to the Cowboy Chronicles. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. Um, but let's uh, let's move on to our next segment. Give me liberty or give me cheez its. And it's uh, it's it's a really interesting situation. The Big Twelve is going to have seven bowl eligible teams, or they do now, uh, thanks to Oklahoma State and the mess that they provided in, in Fort Worth here tonight. But where Nathan did the Cowboys end up going bowling a week? Uh, well, when when we find out a week from now, I'm gonna take a sip of my free water. Smart. Um, I, I think. It's such a weird situation because bowls aren't based on standings. Right. But it's wild to me that Oklahoma State, because of tiebreakers, finished ninth in the Big 12. Right. The only team in the Big 12 with a worse conference record than Oklahoma State is Kansas. And they were tied with Kansas State and Texas Tech. And it's possible that all three of those teams won't have their coach next year. Right. Mike Gunny is definitely going to be back. I'm not insinuating anything mm-hmm. in that mm-hmm. regard. Unless Tennessee comes calling, who knows? And I, I, I don't know to, to what extent this is. So this is, uh, uh, but there are already are already some reports about Bill Snyder being having informed the team tonight that he's done. Now I don't know. Uh, that might have just been uh, some. Well, uh, today some was, stuff that was officially Les Miles' first day, right? Saturday yes. Yes. wasn't yes, that how it worked? So. Yeah. So Les Miles is the coach. Reports of Cliff Kingsbury being out. Reports of Bill Snyder apparently stepping down. So, but yeah, so all three, the three teams that Mike Mike Gundy's Cowboys are either tied with or ahead of in the standings are losing their coach. So Oklahoma State finishing ninth. Getting to my point about Mm -hmm. the bowl games, uh, that doesn't matter, but because it's just based off the selection. So OSU is is behind OU, West Virginia, Texas, Iowa State. They're kind of just in a pool with. Baylor and TCU. Right. Um, so you would think, uh, hypothetically, OU, I think that no matter what happens in the 
Big 12 championship game. There will be two Big 12 teams in the New Year's Six. If Texas wins, they're definitely in. And then OSU or OU would get another spot. I think just I, I think they'd do well enough. The committee would view them well enough. They'd still get in. Um, I think then if, if OU wins, uh, they I think they would get in the playoff. I think that's just I think it would work out that way. Mm-hmm. That's obviously requiring a couple, requiring a couple other things to happen. But and then another Big 12 team, whether that's West Virginia or Texas, would get the other spot. The Big 12's bid. And so then that leaves either Texas or West Virginia for the Alamo Bowl. And then Iowa State, I would guess, goes to Camping World. So I, I actually think that even though OSU lost to both TCU and Baylor, that the Texas Bowl would take OSU. Uh, so I think that if if I had to say, I'm going to say Texas Bowl in Houston. I just think OSU's brand – the fact that they beat Texas and West Virginia, it's kind of we talked about you know the roller coaster. We, you don't know what team you're going to see. You put them in the best bowl, they're going to see the best team, which means they're going to get the best OSU. Right. So I think uh, I think that's the destination. I think it's that. I don't think they fall all the way. So I guess technically, based off what I just said, the Big Twelve is not actually going to fill all of its bowl bids because if the two right no if they have so, two yeah so uh, uh, but anyway six, I, so i would won't. see i think it's more likely for them to end up i think it actually goes houston liberty cheese it because in that order for the likelihood i think osu of baylor and tcu i don't just given what baylor's recent history i think that bulls might be a little apprehensive about mm-hmm. them um and and tcu was just with the exception of the night was completely inept first time scoring over 30 points since september 7th against smu (laughs) so they scored more than 30 points in their first two games and then didn't do it until tonight so i I really think that osu is of those three six and six big 12 teams in the best position um obviously the commit the playoff committee i think would be more than anything what drops them is if the big 12 doesn't end up with two teams in the new year's six which would be based on ou winning the the conference title but not getting into the playoff um then osu ends up in the liberty bowl so but i'm going to say based off what i think will happen around college football that osu ends up in the texas bowl jenny care to uh, to venture a, a guess at uh, at this wild bowl <laughs> scenario i do think that it's probably gonna be a two big 12 team in the in the realm of all those bowls at the playoff uh, committee selects whether that is OU popping into the playoff in Texas or well it's likely Texas uh, you got the sugar I've seen the peach bowl Texas linked up with the peach bowl I mean they're a brand they've they've won big games um, so I think that they're likely to to be in that mix and then that does start to shuffle things out a little bit. Um, I was looking at a couple of things here while we were talking um, I found one list that likes Baylor to go to the to the Texas Bowl um, against Texas A&M. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that, uh, you know, Lone Star State matchup is just so juicy that they, you know, have to. And um, I could see that being having some, some juice to it. Um, you've obviously got two fan bases that are pretty tied into Houston there. Mm-hmm. So if they can get Texas A&M, maybe that adds to the likelihood of Baylor going there. Right. If they don't get Texas A&M, then maybe that changes the equation for them a little bit. I don't, I don't know that Baylor fans would travel to 
face like Missouri. I mean, I don't, I don't know that that's suddenly some big draw. Mm -hmm. So then maybe you just try to get, you know, your best high powered team. I I tend to think offenses in bowl games are where it's at. You know, if you can bring a good offense, that's what people want to see in a bowl game. So um, then maybe that slates things a little bit differently. I, I think it may be the Liberty Bowl at the end of the day. I don't know why. I just think there are so many moving pieces right now. Um, I, I have a hard time believing you're going to see Oklahoma State fall um, beyond the Liberty Bowl. Right. Brand's too good. Potential's too good. I mean, as I wrote tonight, they opened up themselves to go wherever in the heck the bulls end up picking mm-hmm. them because of this roller coaster, you know, they could come out and be amazing and they could come out and do what they did tonight. And who wants to see that? Right. I mean, so I, I think that it's likely that they don't fall any further than the Liberty bowl. But at the same time, if the matchups there and the Liberty bowl thinks that, you know, they might be able to entice more fans or whatever, you know, it could happen. I just don't think it will. So I'm going to say no worse than the Liberty Bowl, and I, I'm kind of coming around to thinking that that's going to be the matchup. And then it's probably a team like Missouri. That's an SEC game. Right. So then you're looking at a Missouri type of team that would potentially be there. I'm with you on that, Jenny. I think the Liberty Bowl is the destination. Um, now, I, I disagree with both of you. I don't think the Big 12 gets two New Year's Six teams. Um, I, I, it's, it's still possible at this point. I just I don't I don't I don't I'm not feeling it right now, but uh, we'll see. You a lot can happen between now and then. So I think a lot depends on how that Texas OU game goes. Yeah, absolutely. Is it a blowout? Right. Which way is it a blowout? To me, that has a lot to do with what the Big Twelve has when it comes to, to New Year's Six. Yep, I would uh, I would completely agree with that. So, um, you know, based on my theory of one New Year's Six team out of the Big Twelve. Uh, then it shuffles things down. I think that, uh, like you said, Jenny, I don't think Oklahoma State falls past the Liberty Bowl. I think they would love the opportunity to get that uh, that 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 brand, that program, in their game and uh, and to bring them out there. So uh, Oklahoma State never been to the Liberty Bowl. Pretty fascinating to me. So huh. um, they did go to the Delta Bowl in uh, 1949, which was also played in Memphis. In case you were uh, curious about their uh, their bowl history in Memphis, Tennessee, is the Delta? I mean, well, I guess it's the Mississippi River, right? Is that the whole Delta thinking? I suppose so. I, guess. I don't really think of Memphis as the Delta. I'll be no. honest with you. No, it's a, it was it was interesting. It was a bowl game that existed for uh, for two years, um, and uh, at one point they were trying to get Tulsa in it and um i can't remember the story now but tulsa had to had to jump out for some odd reason i think i remember the story for whatever Fire reason away, i don't maybe. know why i remember this and i might be remembering something else i read somewhere mm-hmm. and in which case i'm just spewing lies on the cowboy chronicles and how dare i but as i remember it before the season had started tulsa had been like guaranteed a spot in the delta bowl and then they didn't qualify. Like, they didn't do well enough during the season to qualify. So then they were like, well, I guess we need something else. Let's take Oklahoma A&M. And that's the story of how Oklahoma A&M ended up in Memphis, that I could, think. That I don't could, know. That could, that could be possible. We'll, uh, we'll have to research it further uh, when, when we're not, uh, not so, uh, it's so not tired. When it's not 1.26 in the morning. Right, and we're, and we're living off of uh, free water provided by the uh, – 
Uh, Shout the wonderful, out. Fairfield the wonderful Inn. Fairfield Inn here. By Marriott. So that, uh, that brings us to the final segment, the most important thing I forgot. Nathan, you got anything for me? Yeah, uh, we didn't talk about Tylen Wallace's Blitnikoff campaign, which took a bit of a hit tonight, I think. It was a rough night for him. Uh, four catches, 64 yards on, I think, like 10 targets, mm-hmm. and not all of them were catchable, but he was pretty well covered and shut down. Yeah, yeah he um, was. For, for most of the couple game. A couple that you could, uh, could possibly consider drops. So he, uh, you know, Jenny wrote before the game how his numbers stack up pretty well, and I think they still do. I think he definitely still has uh, a great shot at it, but Jerry Judy's going to get another game at Alabama. They're going to go in the SEC title game, and uh, Andy, Andy Isabella's numbers are, are ridiculous, but he's he's not going to get another game, and he's not going to get another game at all. They're 4-8 UMS mm-hmm. is, so... Uh, it's it, he's going to need a little help. He's going to need Judy to have a bit of a, a of a quiet game in that SEC title game because I would not be surprised. He, he, Judy being a finalist surprised me, but when you when you add this extra game, his numbers will stack up there with Thailand's, mm-hmm. I'm sure. So it, it puts him in a bit of a tough situation. Now he just has to to sit and watch. And so he did say post game that yeah he's a little concerned about it, but at the same time that's like an individual honor, so he doesn't want to worry about it too much. But he'll be there at the college football awards show. He's he's excited. He's you know I'm sure he's talked to James Washington a bit about what that whole experience is like. And I think there Mason Rudolph might have been there last year too. I don't remember exactly what all awards are, what all mm-hmm. awards are included right. and what aren't. But you know he uh, he's had a great season regardless. He's a sophomore. He'll have one to two more opportunities to win it who knows what his future holds but right. we might have be having the same kind of justice hill conversation we were having earlier with him but uh he's had a great season uh you know tonight was a quiet night for him it was a quiet night for the whole osu offense but uh regardless of what happened i'm sure that osu fans will look back on the season and be like man tylen Wallace was a dude and so i i think regardless of how the voting for that sorts out i think osu fans can be really happy with the season he's had yeah, absolutely, and um, you know maybe when Oklahoma State sends in um, you know information from uh, from this game, they just accidentally send the West Virginia film back in. I, you know who knows? Um, Jenny, the most important thing that I forgot tonight. Anything uh, or or was I in your eyes perfect on this podcast? I mean, fairly perfect. I got to be honest with Thanks. you. You're playing hurt, and uh, <laughs> I mean, we're all day to day at this point in the right, season, exactly. but you know, you're. I heard you coughing earlier, so the <laughs> fact that you're actually still with us is fairly impressive. You know, this is pure speculation, but I'm curious after sort of hearing the tone of Mike Gundy after the, the game today, he's had very consistent staffing. Obviously, he fired Glenn Spencer after last season, but as far as assistance, he has continued to have a staff that is fairly consistent. I wonder if there might be any movement Right. I, I don't know if he's going to prompt movement or if movement might just might just happen. Obviously, all of the defensive assistants were retained after Spencer was fired, so I don't know if anybody might be looking around. Mm-hmm. It's just a curiosity that popped into my head as I was listening to Mike Gundy talk about you know the the fact that coaches have to own some of the problems that they've had, and um, so I don't know that he's looking to make big changes. I think he likes the consistency. I think he likes the staff. I think he's got a lot of guys that like being in Stillwater, like working together. And so I don't necessarily know that he wants to upset the apple cart, but um, maybe there's a spot or – 
two that, you know, they might look at, at uh, you know, different guys or guys might move on. So just something that popped in my head as he was talking and sort of talking about the fact that, you know, it has been a, a struggle and the coaches, there needs to be some, some better coaching. So we'll see. I, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't anticipate it, but I also wouldn't be surprised by it, I guess. Yeah, I think that um, they're particularly happy with what they've got on the offensive side of the ball in uh, in all facets. I don't think, I mean, you know, despite the fact that that, that a bunch of OSU Twitter fans want Mike Yersich fired, um, I think that he's going to be a head coach someday, and uh, it's just a matter of the uh, the opportunity presenting itself. Um, but, uh, but short of that, I don't see, uh, you know, I, I don't see any changes there, um, unless there's somebody that just wants to go have the opportunity to be a coordinator and they don't think yeah. that your such is leaving. Um, you know, the defensive side, I think there could be more, um, more potential for something because somebody who worked for Glenn Spencer for, uh, for a number of years, um, you know, maybe they, uh, their philosophies don't match up with what Jim Knowles is doing and they decide that they want to. To uh, to try to find somewhere that's a better fit. I'm not saying that I know of anyone that's in that uh, that's in that boat, uh, but you uh, you just never know. Well, another thing you think about, you know, as we're sitting here talking about Bill Snyder on the way out. I mean, a guy like just just to pull, start pulling at strings, Joe Bob Clements right. is, a, is a K-State guy. Who knows? I'm not saying he goes there to be a head coach, but maybe as that if that's a new staff or a revamped right. staff, you know, you just never know where that that string might get pulled. I think Joe Bob's done a great job. Frankly, if there's anybody on the defensive side that, you know, deserves a very long leash, I think it's Joe Bob because oh, of that defensive line's development over the years. Mm-hmm. But those are the type of things that this type of this time of year you start to think about, you know, what pieces are moving and who might get, you know, the magnetic pull might be in a place where you're not thinking about it but maybe that happens in the off season. So something to look out for. We always do, but you know, we'll, we'll, I, it just sprang to mind tonight. And uh, yeah, I think you're right. I, you wonder when you've got a whole new philosophy and way of doing things, I get the feeling like those defensive coaches are pretty adaptable mm-hmm. and adept at handling change, but you never know. I mean, maybe right. a guy just says, Hey, I've tried it. It's time to do something a little different. Mm-hmm. We'll see. All right. Well, I uh, I think that that uh, that brings this episode of the Cowboy Chronicles to an end. Um, Nathan, we'll uh, we'll keep this going uh, throughout uh, throughout bowl season, and then uh, you know beyond that, you'll have lots of uh, fun tidbits about the uh, the basketball team to share. Uh, I'm sure. So um, definitely looks like an interesting season uh, on the horizon for for those guys. And um, I'll be covering some uh, some women's basketball, some wrestling. The wrestling team's got a chance to be really good. So uh, you know, we'll uh, we'll keep the information coming on the uh, on the Cowboy Chronicles, but we'll uh, we'll try to keep it regular, uh, definitely through through the end of uh, of the bowl season. So um, you can uh, look forward to that. If you're not subscribing yet, you should be on Apple Podcasts. Uh, of course, we always put them out on social media and uh, and on the website when we uh, uh, once they uh, once they post. So uh, thanks to uh, Paige and Dave back in the in the studio for uh, for putting this all together for us, and thank you for listening to the Cowboy Chronicles.